You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and on this show you'll hear hunting tactics, stories, and strategies from hunters across the South. Our aim is to sharpen our skills as hunters and outdoorsmen, become more efficient and effective in pursuit of our craft, and even have a little fun while we're at it. And of course, no matter the pursuit, we focus on doing things the Southern way. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and... uh, Got a little bit of a different episode in store for you today. So typically, I have a guest on who's got some kind of experience sharing their knowledge and, uh, you know, helping us all do a little bit better when it comes to being outdoors. Typically, this time of year, we've been talking about deer. Now, come spring, we'll be talking about turkeys. Might talk a little bit of fishing. Probably not, because I don't really care too much about fishing. I enjoy fishing, but uh, it's not number one on my list or even a distant number two turkeys however are way way up there so if you like turkey hunting this is going to be your place this spring Uh, because i'm probably going to make the shift pretty much talking turkeys i don't know two three times a month at least maybe every maybe every episode we're going to talk a little bit of turkey hunting because i kind of can't get enough of it once uh once deer season ends for me uh this year in february i will be switching hard into deer mode actually thinking about doing a little bit of turkey hunting real early in a different state i just don't know yet we'll have to see we'll have to see how that goes have to see what what shakes out and what doesn't for me but today i'm flying solo i'm all alone and i want to share with you something that i have been kind of honing in over the last couple of years this is a strategy for finding deer on public land now i have to say i've done a fair amount of traveling to deer hunt over the last couple of years. I've done a fair amount of deer hunting here in the South over the last couple of years. I deer hunted a lot exclusively really in the South when I was younger. I've hunted Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia. Um, I don't think I've ever hunted Tennessee or can, I know I haven't hunted Kentucky. Pretty sure I haven't hunted Tennessee and I have not hunted Florida. But I've hunted a lot of what I would consider relatively highly pressured public land. Did a lot of it with a gun. So, you know, it was was during the pressure part of the season. Did a lot of it with a bow as well. I've also hunted a lot of hunting clubs that are either butted up to public lands or, you know, got a lot of people on them. Like right now, I'm in a lease, 2,000 acres. There are a lot of guys on the lease. It's one of those situations where you get in on the lease and you ask them, okay, how many guys are in the lease? They're like, oh, uh, not many. And then come to realize later it's like way more people per acre than, or way more, way more people than should be. You know, you don't quite have enough acres for the number of people. My preference is to have it somewhere in the, you know, well over 100. So 120 to 300 acres per person on a lease. Now, does that make them more expensive? absolutely it makes them more expensive but there is an astronomical jump in the quality of your hunting when you do that so if you um, have spent your whole life maybe 
hunting a lease where there's, you know, 40 acres, 50 acres a person kind of thing. Uh, and I'm not talking about small leases, right? I'm talking about the big ones where you got 1,000 acres, 2,000 acres, 3,000 acres leased at a time. When you've only got 40 acres a person, <clears throat> that's a lot of people. And that's a whole lot of pressure. And you look at these clubs that are getting, you know, shooting the big deer, having a lot of success. Their food plots are productive, shooting a lot of deer off their fields in the evenings. And you think, man, what makes their place better than mine? Well, it's probably the number of people. Like, you can, you can look at those clubs. Like, I can look back on the clubs that I've been in. And the ones where I had a lot of success were the ones where, you know, there were 20 guys on 3,600 acres. Um, there were, uh, you know, nine, eight guys on a thousand acres, you know, just not a lot of people, um, you know, on that landscape. So, but anyway, this is a, this is a strategy that I want to share with you that I've been kind of honing over the last couple of years. And I haven't really shared in detail my thought process about it because it's been in development, right? Like it's not something that I hear a ton of people talking about. Now, some of this stuff, yeah, you're going to be like, well, duh, I already knew that already. And, and I'm not trying to share anything earth shattering. I'm just saying this is a strategy that I have employed. I haven't heard anybody talk about it quite the way that I think about it. And I hope that comes across in this episode, but it's a strategy that I want you to give a shot uh, to, or give it a try, or just think through it, man. Give me your feedback on it and let me know your thoughts. Let me know how you do if you put it into practice, but it is a strategy for highly pressured, uh, you know, highly pressured land. Now, I will say this is going to depend on having some pretty consistent pressure on a piece of property. A lot of our WMAs here in the South, they'll have a lot of pressure for the four-day gun season, and then nobody's on that property for the next three weeks. That's not a high-pressured property. It's high-pressured for four days. Um, So this strategy may be great for you day two, day three, day four. It's not going to be great for you after a three-week break where nobody's been on the property. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it depends on hunting pressure. So I want to start off by telling you kind of how I came across and started to develop this strategy. I heard a guy on a podcast talking probably four or five years ago, and he said uh, he, was, he was looking for a big deer, and he was like, you know what? I knew pressure was coming from this direction. I knew pressure was coming from that direction. And so what I did is I got uh, basically in the middle of that, and boom, that's where the deer was. And so I went out that year, and I, I was on my favorite piece of public ground up in Wisconsin, actually. And I thought, okay, there's pressure coming from the north. There's pressure coming from the east. There's pressure coming from the south. I'm going to come in from the east still, like some of this other pressure is. But I'm not going to use a common parking area. I'm going to basically ditch my car in a pretty sketchy place on the side of the road, which was still legal, but... Um, you know, still definitely a pretty sketchy spot. Got my car there, walked in to kind of equal distance from all the pressure. So if the guys came from the south, they'd have to walk like a mile. If they came from the north, they'd have to walk like a mile. If they came from the east, they'd have to walk like a mile. So I was in this perfect center between all of this pressure. And I knew guys were doing this because I'd seen them doing it, like, throughout the season. I'd seen their car, their trucks in the parking lot, I'd been out there scouting enough to know round about where people are, are hunting, right? Like you get a month or two into the season, you start to see trails, you know, dipping off into the woods that it's pretty obvious that somebody's going in there pretty regularly. So I'll go into the spot <clears throat> that's kind of in the center 
of all this pressure. And my first morning there, well, first of all, I go in and I find just a ton of sign. Just, it's absolutely destroyed with sign. There are scrapes everywhere, rubs everywhere. I'm like, oh man, this is the spot. So I sit it, and that first day there, I have an encounter with a good eight-pointer. End up missing the deer. I go back in there, have another good encounter with the same eight-pointer. I go back in there another time, and I have a morning where uh, I have an encounter with three mature bucks, all within bow range, within about 30 minutes of each other. I missed one of the deer. Uh, Another deer ran by so quickly that I couldn't get a shot at him. He was probably in the 160 pushing that 170 number but i'm gonna call him a 160 plus size deer and then another deer came running in seconds after him and busted me moving uh up in the tree he was an old just you know giant five six seven year old kind of deer gray faced rack that's obviously going downhill but somewhere in that 130 125 130 maybe 140 range really good deer though um and then I went in there another time and had an encounter with the original eight point. So that was my third encounter with him throughout that year. Now, this spot, why was it so good? The landscape was exactly the same as pretty much the entire other landscape on this piece of public. The terrain features were basically non-existent. There wasn't a lot going on in there to make this be the spot. Food sources, there was none of that, right? There was, there was food off in different directions, but this was not in the food. Um, it was a little bit thick, right? But so was this whole area. So it wasn't, nothing, nothing made this spot stand out. The only thing that made this area stand out was the, was the sign that I found once I got in there. And I quickly came to realize that it was because of the pressure. Now, I thought this for a number of years, hunted that spot for uh, three years, actually went in there this year, this year and last year. And that spot is now being pretty heavily pressured by a guy who lives just, I don't know, at the entrance kind of, of this public ground. And he's been in there quite a bit. And you can tell the the hunting in there is not the same. So I've come to call this hunting, uh, this hunting style or hunting strategy, hunting the pressure funnels. That is funnels that are created by hunter pressure. There aren't necessarily any terrain features. There aren't necessarily any bedding features. There aren't necessarily uh, any other things that would funnel these deer through this area, except for the fact that there's pressure coming from multiple directions, right? So as I begin to think about this, um, how do you locate these areas? Now, let me back up just a bit. If you find within this area a ditch crossing or a bench or a bedding thicket or something like that within what feels like it would be, you know, a pressure funnel. Um, Obviously you up the odds, right? Like we're trying to put as many things in our favor as we can when we go into the deer woods, especially around the rut, which is, you know, many of you guys are are either in right now or gearing up for here in the South, trying to put as many things in your favor as possible. This is another one of those things. This pressure funnel idea is another thing to put into your, uh, into your quiver, let's say. So where do you start when you're going to employ this pressure funnel access? Well, or this pressure funnel uh, strategy. You start with access. Not only for others, but also for yourself. So number one, you've got to take the time to realize what are other people doing? Now, I did this through 
Uh, personal observations, I sacrificed a lot of Saturday mornings where I would not actually go hunt. I would go drive the roads and look at the parking areas and see where people are parked. Or I would go sit there in the evenings. You know, I'd walk out 30 minutes before dark, and I'd stand in a road, you know, half a mile, quarter mile from the parking lot. And I'm watching where these guys' headlamps are coming in from. I'm watching which direction of the road did they walk in from. Um, Now, this was because I got to hunt a lot during the week back then and, and still do now. And so I don't really need to hunt on the weekends when a lot of people are out there. So that's another piece that, that kind of goes into this for me. But I would take the weekend and I would scout the pressure. I'm looking at what parking lots are busy. I'm looking at where these guys are going. I'm looking at where are these trails that I'm finding. Am I finding somebody who's, you know, walking into this spot, obviously, once or twice a week because he's got his old honey hole back in there? Well, I want to know where that's at. How far is he going? Is he going 50 yards off the road, 100 yards off the road? What's he doing? So I'll follow that trail. I'll take it in there as far as I can. I'll follow the night eyes if I can find some of those, you know, follow the flagging, whatever the case may be. You got to find out where people are. Now, most people, and this has been backed up in study after study, are not going to be hunting very far off of a road or main trail. They're just not going to do it. They may say, oh, I hunt a mile back in there. Yeah, first of all, you probably don't. Um, and second of all, you may walk the trail for a mile, like the main trail or the road, uh, and then you cut off into the woods 100 yards, 200 yards. I think if you walk 400 yards through the woods, like through actual timber with no trail, you are probably way past most of the pressure you're going to encounter. The reality is most guys are not going to walk 400 yards off of a road or, or a main trail. Um, so pay attention to what others are doing or, or what others are doing. And then also, uh, those spots where pressure comes from multiple directions. So think through maybe your WMA roads. If you're, you know, a guy that hunts a lot of WMAs like I do think through your WMA roads. Oftentimes you have them running, you know, either down towards each other or they'll run the ridge lines, right. And you got the kind of the bottom in the middle, um, think about the pressure coming from two directions. If it's just one road off by itself, it's a little bit harder to think of that as a pressure funnel. When you got guys coming from multiple directions, two directions, maybe even three roads come together at one spot or three parking areas kind of form a little bit of a half moon shape. Okay, now all of a sudden you've got something that creates a pressure funnel. Now you've got pressure coming from multiple directions that are going to push the deer down into a smaller, uh, smaller area. So think about what other people are doing. And something that I've noticed is that the shifts that the deer are making due to pressure are not all that far, especially if you're in an area with a high deer density. Um, you know, you get into some of the mountain stuff, man. Like, yeah, it may be that it's just, it's just not the, not the deer density there to even care about it. Um, but that's a different style of hunting than, than I'm typically doing. We don't have a lot of spots like that around here that just have crazy low deer densities. But, um, you know, I used to think that, Man, if people are hunting here, the deer are another thousand yards back. And that's just not the case. Like the deer are adjusting from what I could see and from, from how I've been kind of testing this theory, a hundred yards, 200 yards beyond what the furthest person can see. Uh, you know, and I, th- I think a lot of those deer are gonna, probably going to get shot during a gun hunt. Um, but when it comes to bow hunting, if we're talking bow hunting pressure, especially we're talking a hundred yards, 75 yards beyond 
where that pressure goes. So you get into this, you know, this pressure funnel. And let's say the pressure funnel forms uh, almost like an imaginary line, right? Uh, you know, let's say this hunter walks down the trail and he goes in 100 yards. This other hunter goes down the trail, he goes in 200 yards. The third hunter goes in the trail and he goes in 150 yards. Well, if you draw a line from dot to dot, just kind of connect their stand locations generally dot to dot. So that's your pressure line. Go in 75 to 200 yards past that pressure line and just see what you see. See if, if the deer sign begins to pick up. That's what I noticed. I noticed that, you know, you get 75, 200 yards-ish past that pressure line. And all of a sudden, I start to find, uh, I start to find the sign, right? I, I start to find it. And so that's why it's important to the next, next thing that I'm doing after I'm figuring out where people are, I'm mapping out the pressure, right? Like I'm actually going to mark on Onyx as well as I can where other people are hunting. Now, does that take a lot of work? Yeah, it does. It takes a lot of work. And, you know, you might be thinking too, like, man, so many guys are mobile these days. Like how, how far, like how easily really can you, can you keep track of what either, what other people are doing? Well, just because somebody carries mobile gear into the woods doesn't mean that they're hunting mobile. Um, that's a distinction we need to make. So they're hunting mobile. Yes, maybe they're not hunting the exact same tree every time, but oftentimes you'll find they're within 100 yards. I mean, I do this myself, right? Like I find a good spot, and I'll be in the same 5 or 10-acre chunk for a week. You know, I'm moving 50 yards at a time, 100 yards at a time, just making little tiny micro-adjustments within an area. You can generally figure out where that person is, even if he's, you know, quote-unquote being a mobile hunter or whatever. Um, you know, figure out where that pressure is making it to, mark it on your Onyx, and then, you know, back out of there, right? And, and also, so another caveat for this is figuring out what kind of pressure it is. So is it bow hunting pressure? Is it gun hunting pressure that has now passed? Or is it one of my favorites to play off of is uh, small game pressure? Because small game pressure spots that are, that are, you know, popular for small game hunting, those are some of my favorites now because the deer get so accustomed to those guys walking in there and walking that same ridge every single week for, um, you know, for squirrels. Or they're in there, you know, up in Wisconsin, they're walking the same route for pheasants every single week. They're walking the same edges every single week. Or they're walking, you know, they're, they're rabbit hunting. So them and their dogs are busting through the same thickets. Every single week, right? Like same kind of thing. I love that small game pressure. I'm playing just off 75 yards, 100 yards, 200 yards off of that small game pressure. So I'm going to map that out on my Onyx. Uh, then after I've done that, I'm going to start focusing on the areas that are just beyond it. And I'm going to try to find, okay, where is where are the other features inside of this? So here's my area. I'm beginning to find some sign maybe. Are there terrain features that sort of bolster this one more step up? Is there a nice saddle? Is there a bench that I can play off of? It doesn't mean that I'm going to hunt those, you know, right over that terrain feature or whatever I find. But it does give me a point of reference. Like it gives me one more point where I'm pretty sure, okay, the deer are going to end up over there at this creek crossing or at this ditch crossing or, or whatever, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so we've covered, I'm going to check my notes real quick here, make sure I've started it all. So you're starting with, or make sure I've covered it all. You're starting with access, yourself, access for others, where they're going. You're mapping out that pressure. 
you're focusing on the areas that are just beyond the pressure line, you know, one to 200 yards past that line of pressure. Um, and we're, you know, obviously we're thinking about those places where we're, we're more highly valuing those places that have pressure coming from the east, from the west, and from the north, or, you know, multiple directions of pressure coming in are going to funnel those deer down even better. And then from there, you focus on the unpressured pockets, right? Like you, you find that honey hole in the middle. And that doesn't mean you're always going to find the honey hole in the middle, right? Like it doesn't mean that it's always going to be there. But, man, I've had a lot of luck doing it. Like if I'm just being honest with you, my hunting over the last four years, I have seen more large deer in the last four years of hunting than I have probably in my entire hunting career. I went from being a guy that didn't see a lot of deer, you know, unless I was hunting private land, to a guy that's surprised when I don't see a deer if I go hunting. I went from, you know, uh, mature buck encounters twice a year, once a year, to mature buck encounters 50% of my outings, 45% of my outings. And encounter meaning, you know, I was within 100 yards or whatever. And a lot of that's with a bow, so... Um, yeah, obviously you're not going to do that, do that well, but you know, having these encounters, nonetheless, um, my success has just gone through the roof. So I'm focusing almost specifically and only on these unpressured pockets. Um, and then double that, double down on that by finding those pinches, terrain features, travel corridors, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's absolutely the best case scenario, right? You're finding, you know, for me, a a big-time favorite, ditch crossing, creek crossing, that kind of stuff, within this little funnel. And that's my strategy. And, you know, you take those and you you do your scouting. You throw in some cameras maybe and just see what the deer are doing in there. So I wanted to air that out there for you guys. Um, Just kind of as my experience, my thought process, I felt like I was really, I was really at a time right now where I want to I guess throw that out there for a lot of people and ask your thoughts on it and have you maybe try it. There's a lot of gun seasons left on WMAs around here. Um, there's you know a lot of time left in the season. This is especially effective during the rut, I've found. Um, and so, yeah, curious about your feedback, curious about your thoughts, curious about if this is something that you have been doing for years. Typically, if I have a good idea, I'll air it on a podcast episode And I'll have six or seven guys be like, man, my grandpa taught me that. And that's how we've hunted our whole life. Uh, If I find something that works, right? It's like, okay, yeah, it works, but you're not the first one to find it. And I'm confident that this is is what's going on with this. So, guys, get out there, find those pressure funnels, and uh, see what you see, man. Let me know. um, You know, send me a message on Instagram at the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. I think that's what my Instagram handle is. Anyway. If you just look up Southern Way Hunting Podcast, you'll find me on Instagram. So shoot me a message. Let me know how you do. Also, if you think that this is uh, a crock and not actually going to work, then uh, let me know that too. But but please do back it up with something. Don't just be like, well, that sounds dumb. It's like, yeah, well, a lot of things sound dumb. Give it a shot, though. And if it doesn't work, let me know. If it does work, let me know that too. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for this solo episode. Next week, we'll be back with another awesome guest. Until then, get out in the woods. 
That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, please go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you can leave us a review, I would really appreciate that. Until next week, let's keep doing things the Southern way.